friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 62. Whoa, it is Monday, November 4th, 2019, and I am coming to you from the great country of Russia. I played Moscow last night with John Thatcher Longley flying back home to the United States today, but I thought I'd post a little podcast, and here we are. This episode is brought to you by the Patreon supporters, the Larsians, shout out to the new ones, Jesse Ray, Andrew Davis, and Marcy, and shout out to the old ones, Justin Glaive, Prog Gator, and Catherine. Thank you all for supporting this project and supporting the Patreon. I am doing songs about all the movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This month I do Iron Man, in Iron Man 2, which means I get to do different characters within the universe. It's going to be tight. It's going to be joyful. It's definitely worth checking out. I'm excited to do all sorts of songs about all sorts of surprising things, including The Incredible Hulk, which is kind of canon and not the first one with Ed Norton. It's dope. It's exciting. So this is a cool project. Speaking of nerdy music, this week I talked to Z from Hipster Please, a dude who's been reporting on the nerdcore movement really since its inception and before. We kind of talk about his work as a writer, uh, the evolution and de-evolution of the genre, how it kind of had this interesting second wave and third wave, and it was very cool to talk to him about his perspective. So check this out, and uh, thank you for listening. Here we go. This is Z from Hipster Please. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Z from Hipster Please, a legend documenting the nerd culture revolution for a very long time. Uh, we were just talking about it. How long have we known each other? Like 13 years? Something like that. Yeah, we met. Um, oh, when was the first time I saw you? 2006, 2007, maybe? It was one of your one of your early tours, and we met at a place in Spartanburg, South Carolina called Ground Zero Little Local Punk Dive Club that is uh weirdly enough has sort of a sort of a historic landmark for for the local music scene. Was I with Fred a lot or was I with the punk bands? You you, uh, you were touring with your backup band at the time and I want to say you had some local like death rapper yeah. What was your local opening act? I it was so I know what you're talking about. It was 2008 and it was oh, 2008. A, it was a one-off because we were on this college tour, this corporate college That's tour. That's what it was. And his yeah. name was Jubby F U. I'm not gonna yes. say it. And yes. he, he yes. was we've laughed <laughs> about him for years. I was tiptoeing <laughs> I was tiptoeing around the name myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, so you were so you were like probably one of the three people at that show. <laughs> Uh, and I think I, the other two people rode with me. So really, it, it worked out well for all of us. <laughs> um, so you saw Wesley Willis there, too? Is that what you were saying? Oh, man, I have seen everybody at that club. Yeah, I saw saw Les Wesley Willis a couple years before his unfortunate passing, also at that club. Um, I saw David Allen Coe at that club. Like, it's Ooh. literally, yeah, it's literally just the weirdest uh, sort of top to bottom of contemporary and historic musicians there. It's it's a it's a weird place, and apparently it's still around. It kind of goes dormant for a couple of years, and then yeah. it comes back. And I'm like, oh well, I guess uh, municipal waste and sick of it all are playing at Ground Zero. Guess I'm driving there. 
That's dope. I, and I remember it was pouring rain that night. It oh, was, yeah, it was horrible. It was so Dis- wet. Dis- it was disgusting. There's this thing that comes with being a creator or being someone who wants to connect with people. You can't put a monetary value on these memories, right? And on these, exactly. these things. And it's funny how you mentioned some names that like maybe at some point in their career would sell a thousand tickets in, in Manhattan and some point sell three tickets in Spartanburg. And like, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to quantify the success of a life of a creative person. And you being as someone who's been creating for so long, like what are some ways you can quantify success? If it's, uh, we, yeah. I, I kind of butt up against that a lot because I've, I've learned after a point that I, I don't look at my like read and listen statistics because at some point there's either going to be way too much and I'm going to be intimidated or I'm going to be talking to four people and I'm going to be disheartened about it. So I just try to, I just kind of, I'm have kind of made peace with whoever's out there reading or listening. I just want to, you know, connect with them. I want to help them with whatever their story is attached to, to this music or this art or this movement or this thing. Yeah. Um, and you know it comes back to the memories. I remember. I don't think it was that show. I think it was when you and uh, you and Whitey were touring. There was a kid at the merch booth who wanted to buy a T-shirt and he didn't have the money. And you said, "That's cool, man. You can get me when I'm back." And I'd never seen an artist do that. You know, I'd never <laughs> seen. Even you know, go, growing up, going to like punk and metal and underground hip hop gigs, like that was that was just. And I was like, "That's that's MC Lars to me. That is." And that's that's why I do it because you get these glimpses of of people not just as as creative entities but just as you know the cool human beings that they are. Oh, thank you. That's a cool story. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I I do that a lot, and especially when it's a kid who really wants it, and then they have a reason to come see you, and maybe they'll Take- bring. To exactly right <laughs> well and, and and i think that's the reason why guys like like you and ran and front like continue to do this because you understand that there's more to it than unloading the van doing your set selling a cd going home yeah right right that's true because that is anyone could do that i guess i mean not anyone but it's like you want to my whole thing has always been about trying to inspire people, you know, Yeah. create more, consume less. And that's why I love Wesley Willis so much because he was just this cosmic, energetic guy who just could not stop creating. It was his therapy. I relate to him. Yeah. You know? yeah well, and anybody who has, anybody who has those, those struggles, be they, you know, mental health or, or, or addiction or any bad thing that is dragging you down, you know, if you can use art to, not just, you know, come past that, but to inspire you through your struggle. Like, that's amazing. That is the most uh, phenomenal thing a human being can do, in my opinion, is to turn that into gold. And then inspire other people to create their own art to be similar. It's exactly. There you exactly. go. <laughs> you have been such a proponent and, um, like, supporter of nerdcore as a genre. I think of you kind of as... Cameron Crowe in Almost Famous. <laughs> being there at all the moments and basically being one of the facets of the, the scene. Nerdcore, the nerdcore Legs McNeil. Um, it, well, it's sort of like we, we have this belief that, that history is written by the victors, but I think mostly history is just written by the guys who were standing around watching. Right. And I'm one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. 
and writing about and and being flexible with your platforms because you've been on you you have you you do you still run you have a blog right through your site I, the the blog mostly is now just a repository for the new podcast uh, my writing at the moment is more or less limited to to the stuff at geek dad which is again a job i fell into back when it was a wired blog just because of my connection to to nerdcore and video game music and stuff wow so okay so let's talk about that so how did so how did you first get introduced with the people at wired I uh well the that sort of starts out with with hipster please my my blog I um it was I guess 2005 and I was young and newly married and had a kid and writing is free so <laughs> that became what I did I yeah. you know I, I I like to write and one of the things I've always loved since I was you know nine ten years old was was music I've always been a music guy so that was what I started writing about and it just so happened that that also lined up with um front of lots first tour with the whole uh wonderful volatile madness that was the rhyme torrents community like all that stuff was going on at the same time so i just sort of fell backwards into writing about this yeah and out of that grew uh radio free hipster a podcast that i named by accident and uh the at some point i oh i ended up oh i got a uh, i got a bad tattoo i got a d20 tattoo that doc pop ended up pushing to Oh, one of the like culture and sharing blogs and a bunch of people saw it and some of the people saw it happened to work for the Geek Dad blog at Wired and they mm. figured out I was a dad and they're like, hey, come write about weird stuff for us. Wow. So that so was your tattoo that got, helped get That's you That's right. Game. So so I guess my, my key is, uh, all right, kids, um, go to shows, get tattoos. That's it. That's the key to success. <laughs> so you, yeah, cracked it wide open for you. How many tattoos do you have? Oh, just a couple, just just two or three. I'm just still working on my right arm. I I in I grew um my dad was a biker, so I grew up around tattoos. It was just sort of a thing, but I've tried to be a little more selective than perhaps my father was about what I adorned my body with. So be so. Are you originally from South Carolina? I I am. I was born and raised in the upstate of South Carolina. So being a Geek, tech entrepreneur, uh, nerd. What was that like growing up? Like back before the internet was cool. It was cool to be a nerd. Like, did you ever feel like an outsider? Oh, definitely. I think I think anybody that grows up in a sort of you know homogenized culture, like it, like a small town that doesn't necessarily click with whatever the that dominant culture is, kind of feels like a, an outsider, but. You know, you kind of grow, you kind of grow through that, I think. And then suddenly there was the Internet and you realize that there are people being alone just like you all over the place. So I think it's a it's culturally, I think it's a really amazing leveling mechanism. The fact that we can all talk about this weird stuff now. And the longevity of it, like the fact that many years later, there's an interesting um, thing about Shakespeare's sonnets where he tells the story of this person he loves and the fact that he does it for many years, he talks about how that animates the person in the reader's imagery. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's similar with the podcast medium and with all the indie nerdcore stuff and any kind of progressive like long form content because 
you get to see, like, you experience the life of these things and the depth of them. And, like, it takes people like you documenting and connecting the threads to, like, to kind of spin the animation wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and it's and it's great, like, kind of being a, a first-person observer of that. Like, it's, it's interesting to me to see how you have changed, you know, artistically since your early days. You know, because you were originally the post-punk laptop rap guy. Like, and that's how I came. I came into... MC Lars Horace and just to kind of see how you've expanded on that and the other elements that you brought into that to me is fascinating. And now, you know, you and Ran are making this beautiful uh, lip lit hop opus that is uh, that is Dewey Decibel. So it's it, it's fun for me. Like that's if you have a passion for music then it's hard to not have a passion for people who make music. So mm. it's fun to see where they go with their careers and how they change and what what elements they, they bring in and how they sort of gravitate as they move forward. Thank you. That, I didn't expect that. I didn't, I, I wasn't trying to fish for compliments, but that's a really nice compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate oh, that. Scene. No, let's say Lars, you, you know that I, and, and I think most people who have, been around you for for the last decade like you are a guy that i think we all universally sort of hold in in high regard you're you're lars thank you well you're a you're a talented musician and you're also just a super nice guy that really wants the people that enjoys his art and enjoy his art and that come to the shows to have a good time and that's to me that that's noble that's all you can do as a human being is to try to maybe alleviate a little suffering (laughs) Right. Life is life is hard. Enjoy things. Help people enjoy things. And that's why along those lines, if 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 there's less positive ways to do it, that's why the uh, pharmaceutical companies have done so well. And (laughs) you know what I mean? All the yeah, exactly. Exactly. All the (laughs) so. okay. so um, that's cool. Well, thank you, man. Um, Oh, you're welcome, brother. You're welcome. I wanted to talk. I didn't. I, I didn't tell you I wanted to talk to you about this, but I want to talk about it. I thought okay. this would be a cool opportunity, part of our interview, to mm-hmm. to have an oral history of nerdcore as a movement from okay. your perspective and me trying to fill in the blanks because you've met and interviewed so many of the original people. You've been there through the through it all, and if you don't mind, I'd love to talk to you like about about that to have this on record you know oh no man definitely let's do it i uh, Lars, I, I know why i'm here man you're not fooling me <laughs> i i get why i'm here no, but no we um i guess we start talking about nerdcore nerdcore like heavy metal or punk or ska you know occurs in waves uh there and sometimes they are uh Sometimes they're linear and sometimes they're not. And I think nerdcore really kind of starts with a with a handful of of OGs, with a handful of guys like you, uh, front of lot, MC Chris, Whitey Cracker, kind of the the ones I tend to refer to. And then also uh, widening the circle, Optimus Rhyme, which was kind of a different animal because they were more of a uh, funk rock band that also had an MC. Yeah, but you you guys are sort of and again there were people Paul Barman there were a lot of people before that, um, but when you think of I guess nerdcore as a movement for me that's that's the center of the atom, and then I guess the, circling that like are are people that were directly inspired by guys like you and and Chris and Wheelie uh, Beefy comes to mind Ultra Klystron. Um and those guys made up the core of what I kind of think of as the Rhyme Torrents generation, which again is sort of a a blessed and cursed history that we all share. 
<laughs> that, the, that's gen like the second wave if you're talking about waves. Maybe. Yeah, that's the second wave. But then something really cool happens because rather than a third wave, you kind of have this nerdcore lost generation. You have people like uh, like Mega Ran, who was just you know an underground rap cat who'd been doing it for a while, who transitioned into the me- uh, random at the time, who transitions into like Mega Ran as a persona. You have guys like um, David N80 from Dualcore, who started out in Ohio in like Scribble Jam, that gets involved in hacking and IT and brings that into his art. And um, like, and to me, like that's part of the, the the coolness of it is that it's not so cut and dry. There, mm. you know, there are waves within waves. It's like um, ha- MC Hawking said on the podcast when I interviewed him. He said, "Nerdcore is like obscenity. You know it when you see it. You know it when <laughs> no, you hear exactly. it." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you what yeah. it is, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, that's it. That, once again, I think Hawk Hawk is dead on. Well, see, and Hawking is one of those guys that was was uh, doing it early on. You know, more more as a gag, I think, than than a lot of guys. And that's another thing is we have content versus intent with nerdcore. Mm. Like, um, some people are nerdcore because that is uh, a niche that you're trying to fill, and some people are just nerdcore because, like, I, I there's a whole group of like a Canadian MCs, especially that I consider to be nerdcore adjacent. Yeah, Jesse Dangerously is not nerdcore, but he's kind of in there. Right. Word burglar, word burglar is not nerdcore, except for that he kind of is. I mean, it's, that's right. so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the, I like, I like the Hulkman's take on it, though. You know, you know it when you hear it. And but, so, yeah, yeah, that's so. That is the so. What years are we talking about? Like, let's talk about chronology. Talking, we are talking early two thousands up until um, two thousand between two thousand five and two thousand eight. I think is sort of peak nerdcore. That's when everybody. That's when the movers and shakers are moving and shaking. And so, when did you first hear about Frontalot? And was that your first exposure to the term? Oh. My there was definitely my first exposure to the term, um, and that was early two thousands. Um, back during his uh, like his song fight days, you know hmm. that was the again that was the cool thing about the commercial internet, where there were these weird little pockets where very interesting and in some cases niche music was being made. That um, if you didn't know about it, maybe you never heard about it. But yeah, song fight was a it was like an online song competition, and that's really kind of where Front cut his teeth. And out of that grew, you know, MC Frontalot, the the nerdcore superhero that we know and love today. And the Penny Arcade people were close with the song fight people, or they they somehow mm-hmm. discovered him, right? Is that that's how? <laughs> yeah, the the Penny the Penny Arcade guys had Front playing um, before Pax was this big cultural thing that it is now. It was basically this very punk rock operation where they would throw these little like gaming expos in. I don't know parking lots or something and they would have musical guests and they were a lot of kind of your early uh, nerdcore and geek rock guys front a lot was there um darkest of the hillside thickets which is uh, a canadian group that are a uh, hp lovecraft theme band oh wow i need to check them out oh I've met Lars. They've been for, they, they have been together <laughs> forever torin atkinson is is kind of the front man and the the nucleus of that and again it's a you know super nice guy himself but um yeah, that it's weird how kind of all of those all those worlds collide. 
I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard my interview with um, Perry from Nerf Herder, but he talks about on the, my podcast how they came up with the term nerdcore in the early '90s as a mm-hmm. response to these bands from Oxnard, punk bands from Oxnard called it Nardcore. Nardcore, yeah, I remember that. I remember and that. So they were like, "Well, we're we're a Star Wars reference named band. We're going to call it <laughs> Nerdcore," and that's what they used to s- yeah. describe their music as. And mm-hmm. So that's always in interviews. Like we were on WBR in Rochester, and I told that story, and Frontlot was like surprised and flabbergasted and didn't believe it. But so I guess what we're talking about, nerdcore is a invention of rock, the rock nerd rock, nerdcore hip hop is kind of what we're talking about with this. Yeah, we're, we're talking about we're talking about you know I guess nerdcore with a capital N, which kind of was spawned by the the MC Frontlot song of the same name. Yeah. And he and Perry said Perry from Nerf Herder was like when he heard that Frontlot was doing that he was like oh that makes sense you know they can they can have it I'm <laughs> well, not going to fight them you know and that- again I I I you know I've met Perry and, and spoken with him a little in the past and that's a very that's a very Perry approach to things yeah uh, that's cool yeah he yeah that's good good for him good for him <laughs> but I always want to um, I always want to make that part of the history make it clear yeah, because yeah. they me coming from a punk rock background and Cal- being from California and stuff I always felt like. California punk rock could was always a little weird and a little different. Mm-hmm. And so it, that definitely, makes sense, definitely. you know? Well, and that's, there's always, and that's a, a thing I think that, that endures in, in nerdcore hip hop in it's kind of modern incarnation is there's still a lot of that punk rock DIY ethic at play. And a lot of times that a necessity, but you guys make it work. Right. Yeah. That's, that's nice, man. And I think also because none of us, well, this is cool because we're getting the chronological perspective, the human mm-hmm. stories, that the uh, geographical s- stories, <laughs> and and so Frenela is from Berkeley, but he went to Wesleyan, yeah, and then yeah. stayed in on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, uh, I guess, based around Brooklyn at the time. Um, yeah. and uh, uh, and I don't think he uses it anymore. But he used to have this tag where where he would uh, like in in intros and stuff where he would be uh, MC Frontalot, the first rapper to ever come to the genre from musical theater. <laughs> right. Now because that's... he and because he and Gabby Alter, his uh, you know kind of longtime collaborator and keyboardist, were you know musical theater guys yeah i um on my on my last podcast I actually closed with um a song from young zombies in love which is a musical they wrote in the sort of the, the what what would chronologically also be the early days of front's sort of nerdcore innovation and that he had yeah you make a good point he had people around him who were musically talented who helped make it not just kind of ironically rapping over canned beats making mm-hmm. it a whole production thing. And I feel like yeah, yeah. he had that, MC Chris had that, especially with his stuff with DJ John, just having great choruses and great production. Oh, yeah. That yeah. stuff, I think, will always be his his best work because, I mean, that stuff was so exciting and so well-produced and catchy, and his flow was different on like a lot of the, rec- a lot of the records. Like I remember seeing in one of his albums, maybe Eating Isn't Cheating, he has a quote, he goes, Nerdcore will rise in 04. He wrote that in his CD. <laughs> and that was interesting. Like his, his, so my, I, I discovered him because I had a hip hop radio show in college and there was mm-hmm. this kid who was like a graffiti artist. He had a zine. He was like a fan of my show. He came by and he'd burn me CDs of, of MC Chris and people like that and Optimus Rhyme and MC Hawking. So I had no idea about it until like, this would have been 2003, January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I had no idea that it was like a whole movement, but I didn't 
necessarily ever consider myself that, but I always felt like it was cool to work with these people. And just by virtue of doing what I did, I became lumped into it. And I think that was a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people got pulled. Well, I mean, you know, like we said with, with Raheem, with Ran, like after a point, he's like, okay, I'm going to do this Mega Man album thing, you know, and that was, that was an intentional thing. But I think with you singing so much about, uh, it's literary movements and stuff because that's like that's what I always uh, you know English major uh, represent game here. I always like that's what I always think of when someone says MC Lars. Immediately I go to Flow Like Poe or I go you know that 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 is and that is you know studious and the, the it's nerdy by definition. I think right, it's nerdy and it's nerdy to also fast forwarding to make a Broadway musical about American history, right? Like that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And it's like the seeds of what all these artists were tapping into were part of the zeitgeist, but always little too weird to ever become mainstream. Right. And so, yeah, to to coalesce. Yeah. Coalesce. And that's why it was always exciting to have like people like you write about it and have G4 do the segments and have it mentioned in like little sections. And I think that, during this time we're talking about, people got very thirsty for the attention, and that's where a lot of the beef oh, yeah. came out. And the documentaries, oh, yeah. especially Nerdcore oh, yeah, the, for Life. Yeah. The dueling documentaries. Yeah. Um when I when I first was well, like my first real interview was uh was Frontalot, who started at Ground Zero in Spartanburg with his Nerdcore for Life tour. Um oh, where wow. they were also where they were also filming the documentary. And um yeah, so yeah, you, we had you had that, and you had the the you had Nerdcore Rising and Nerdcore for Life sort of dueling documentaries, which is, there's nothing more nerdcore than that. Is two groups of people doing essentially the same thing, and just sort of side eyeing each other across the aisle the whole time, <laughs> right? And competing for the festivals and the press, but yes, they really yes. came out within a sh- like I what am I right to remember a few months of each other? Yeah, I think they both dropped in 2008. Wow. That's crazy. So what So let's talk about Rhyme Torrents. Like mm-hmm. who from Rhyme Torrents has persisted? Beefy? Um be- Beefy is Beefy is is I don't know there, there's just something about Beefy. I I like to think that people can't make good art without making bad art and Beefy is my exception. Hey. Because I feel like Beefy kind of came out of the gate as Beefy. Beefy was born fully formed as our beloved Beef Thompson. And I think because right. of that he's the guy who's managed to kind of ride it out and when a lot of people went another way or just sort of gave up the ghost, Beefy has continued beefing it up for the last decade and a half. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that his production was always cool. He always had it interesting was. beats. It never sounded bad. I've got a friend um, at a at a Washington that's a, an audio engineer, and he we were talking about about this at one point. He's like, man, he's like, I'm I'm fairly certain that Beefy is the only person I've ever heard sound professional with, you know, free with a uh, you know. Uh, cracked shareware and a Radio Shack mic. There's right. just something about the quality. <laughs> there's something about Beefy's timber that makes him beefy. It's it's a certain kind of magic. It's like Chuck D. His voice would ch- cut through the crappy uh, speakers, right? Because yes. it was so low. Yes, similar to Beefy. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> he okay. So, um, what? So, what do you think led to the downfall of that not becoming the dominant uh, zeitgeist of nerdcore? Like, what happened? Well, like like everything, it's it's born and it lives and it dies. And I think it was just that that whole process was sped up just because everybody was so hungry. Yeah. Um, everybody did have, or a lot of people did have sort of an unhealthy element of ego about it. And eventually, you know, things, things fall apart. The center, as they say, cannot hold. And because there are so many people and it was this new thing where it was like a community, but also mm-hmm. digital distribution and also yeah. the, the torrent technology. It was just, it was new that like you could create something in your room and then people would hear it and you're part of a community and there was a whole yeah. army of people. Which was, I think, theoretically awesome and was like the birth of Spotify <laughs> and SoundCloud and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Um, so, Z, who are some artists from that whole, f- that second gen that you think could have kept going, had a lot of potential, but just kind of fell off and stopped making music? Um, I miss Zealous One yeah. a lot. Another another Cali guy who had a, a, a very a very unique voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there are people that sort of came into Rhyme Torrents that were never nerdcore to begin with. Like, Shell Riley is still being Shell Riley. He's still doing uh, his stuff. He's still working, you know, with Beefy and, and the Grammar Club. But it's also a little disingenuous to introduce Shell Riley rapper, as that was just a tiny little bit of a thing that he was doing. Because he's he's more of a singer, definitely. He is. He's more of a he is more of a singer. He, he is more of a singer songwriter in the classic sense. So okay, so after Rhyme Torrance, so we're going over the history. So that mm-hmm. so what was the, when did Rhyme Torrance slow down? Two thousand eight, would you say? Um, it was probably I think two thousand nine, two thousand ten was the decline of that, and then by two thousand eleven, it was you know only a handful of us probably even remembered that it happened. Yeah, <laughs> other people would see the documentaries too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then what was the what was so? If that was the second generation or second wave, what was the third wave? Was there one? The th- well, there was a third wave, but it was again, it was people who were who were sort of working outside of that paradigm. A lot of people, Adam Warrock is a perfect example. Didn't know anything about Rhyme Torrance. He had been you know experimenting with rap and with. Uh, just kind of music in general for a while, but it wasn't until Eugene Ahn became Adam Warrock that he sort of fell, fell into the nerdcore fold. So he'd been rapping and he he was doing stuff on YouTube. And I guess I remember in 2011, he was opening on the tour with Chris and me and Mega Rand. Mm-hmm. And yeah. How, so how did he get discovered? Just by rapping on YouTube? Do you know? Just, oh, I don't know. Okay, for anybody who is not uh familiar with 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 uh, with Borak's story he was a lawyer Lars right he was a lawyer that, in Atlanta or some uh yeah. in he may have still been in Philly at the time okay but he he was or maybe may back in Memphis by that point but yeah, yeah Adam Warrock goes to law school gets out gets what is I guess on paper his dream job and is miserable. Right. And he starts making music, maybe not out of desperation, but just out of looking for something more. And because of, I think, the wave that 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 whole second gen nerdcore thing had caused, he eventually starts gaining traction. And I mean, I think he reached out to me at some point. It's like, hey, I've heard your podcast. This is, you know, this is my stuff. This is what I do. And I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. 
Yeah. And it was well uh, produced. That's what helped him stand out. It's well it's well produced. And again, he had he had a podcasting background. Like he I think he understood a little bit about, you know, sound and what you're supposed to do with it, which is not a thing that some of us started out with. Right, right. <laughs> um but and, and again, like and he is certainly not a he is certainly not, you know, second gen rhyme torrents era, but it, it it pains me that Eugene is no longer rapping. Like I understand why he's not. He's kind of moved on. He's doing great in life. He's happy. He's he's getting married. Um mm. and and maybe that's why all of us create is because we're just trying to fix something broken in ourselves. And maybe right. this is fixed. Right. Hey, I, that's I profound. hope that's it. I hope that's it. <laughs> well and there's also there's also this thing with I think with him that there's all this success super quick and mm-hmm. then it's hard after you're an opener on some of these oh, tours yeah. to do it yourself, to headline and well, grow. It is, and just, I just don't think he could come. I don't think he could compete with himself. I think his output was so prolific that it was just unsustainable, but yeah. that's, that's just him. You know, he, when he does something, he really, really does it. That's interesting. And I think he comes up a lot on this podcast as, this mythical guy who was so big. I think you're right. He was the face of the third generation. There was mm-hmm. really not. And then when he realized nerdcore fans liked him, he embraced that genre. Yeah, yeah. And well, because he was already he was already a big comic book and pop culture guy anyway, so it fit. Yeah, it wasn't disingenuous. No. And there was, I mean, talking about the social history, there was not a lot of people of color in nerdcore, and he was there's no real bigger Asian MCs I can remember. Well, n- not at the time. I mean, now and and now I guess we're in the the fourth iteration of yeah. nerdcore at this point. Um and we're finally starting and I think we're finally kind of starting to see that representation because it's not it's not as niche as it used to be. You know, it's right. technology and culture are so sort of intertwined that it's not it, nerdcore doesn't have to be nerdcore anymore. Right. That's true. Nerdcore is just, yeah, that's an interesting question. Is it an asset to even call, call it that? And I, and I think the people that are a lot of the people that I find that are the happiest with their work and with their output, don't care if you, if you want them to be nerdcore and that's the avenue that you find them, that's great. And if you don't, and you just think that it's, you know, just this kind of, different hip-hop that i listen to you know what that's good too yeah we can call lex a lexicon artist again a phenomenal you know new gen asian american female artist nerdcore or we can say that she's somebody who raps about uh being a psych major uh the the construct of self you know she she takes on a lot of that stuff just as much as she takes on television and video games and pop culture stuff and she's really, but she's, I think she's purposely leveraged the Nerdcore brand to oh, help yeah. her make money. And, and that's so, yeah, cool. Because, that was, mm-hmm. that was like a thing where seeing her was, she showed up at our show in San Francisco and I was like, oh, here's someone who sees this as a lane and she's going to use yeah. it because there's so many rappers who don't tour, who just do stuff online. And I think that this became a way for people like you're talking about, it's a punk rock thing, a, a model for how you can like make a living at it and actually connect with people. And I think yeah, yeah. that's it's, cool. It's, a, it's an in, it's a great in if you're looking to tour. Cause you know, now she's out on the road with, with Chris and Schaefer, the dark Lord. Yeah. Um, who else is new that you think is great? Oh man. Hold on. I've got, 
there's just so much. Well, there's so much stuff going on in sort of nerdy, uh, geeky, weird music across the spectrum. Like you, you, you're out with Oakley Dokley. You know, right, they're awesome. What, yeah. what a, what a ridiculous and enchanting concept. Right, <laughs> that is. Yeah, I mean, how do you not respond? How do you not respond to that? Yeah, but yeah, like there's just and and that's another thing. Like there's there's just so many opportunities because of sound, the SoundCloud and Spotify model. Like if you're doing something, you can put it out there, and that's amazing to me. And I think you said something interesting about ego. And mm-hmm. my wife talks about this a lot, that it's good to be an art burner, meaning you're not precious about your art. You put out a song, you put out another song, you make videos, you don't spend your whole career talking about the great stuff you did in the past, right? Yeah. If and that's you how you compete if, with the kids. <laughs> well, and, and if you don't look back at the art that you made previously and cringe just a little bit, have you really grown as an artist? Like, shouldn't shouldn't it have a sell by date after a point? Shouldn't there be like uh, Mark uh, Schaefer, the Dark Lord, has songs that he no longer performs? He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I, I I've grown past that. Yeah, and that's that's a great way to be, just to grow as an artist and as a person, and to realize that the art of the past may not reflect the person of today. And that proves growth and that proves that you're trying new things and it, and it's, and it allows your audience to grow, especially on tour. Yeah. They they don't just want to, I find that problem sometimes. Like I try to do some of my older stuff, but some of my older stuff from the graduate is like very, specific to that time that yeah. it d- well, hasn't aged well, <laughs> you well know? And, and and you again we were talking about this before uh, before the show like so much has changed in your life you're a married man now lars you know that's you are in a completely different phase in in your life and it only makes sense that you would be at a uh, a different phase in your artistic life thank you man I, I and i feel that and i feel the freedom of it and i love that i get to like like I'm doing these Marvel songs for Patreon now and do this mm-hmm. podcast, try other things. But yeah, I think it was a very interesting time for me because I was in my twenties and I've had this way to prove myself, but I also had this conflicted relationship because I felt like I always felt like nerd nerdcore traded on novelty and it wasn't so much about the skills and the musical side of it. And that was always hard for me when, when I yeah. hear certain acts. And I think that, that's not really the case anymore because skills are so important now. Well, and that, yeah. And that was one of the reasons, again, the, the you got to make bad art before you make good art was one of the reasons that I didn't, that I tried not to dwell too much on that. But also like it's, it's a matter of longevity. A lot of these fly by night guys are gone and forgotten. But here's you, and here's uh, Schaefer. You know, you guys are still doing and making and creating and performing and touring. And that's tight. <laughs> that <laughs> we, is exactly, and exactly. we owe, owe that to the fans. And I think the fans probably. I think we're at this point now where there's this nostalgia, this mis- millennial nostalgia for the, yeah. for the early 2000s, and now on the brink of the 20s, it really feels like. Like maybe not that we're at this level at all ever, or will we ever be? But like Black Flag touring in the mid '90s, right? Yeah, a throwback <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, you know and, what I'm and, saying? and and w- when I come to a Lars show, 
I am never not going to want to hear Hurricane Fresh. But I understand if you are past a point where that's something you want on every set list. Like you have to realize that you have to realize that artists are people and not jukeboxes, and you have to give them the leverage. If you are a fan, you have to give them the leverage to make the music that they want and need to make and perform it at whatever time you see them. Yeah, man, and that sometimes a good show will only have one or two songs you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe, I want I want to come away with new songs that I love. I don't need to hear the old stuff. I've gone to the I've gone to the Iron Maiden tour where they just play the first six or ten albums, and that's great. Yeah, but I've also gone and be like, what was that? Was that Fear of the Dark? They're doing Fear of the Dark now. That's that's part of the live set. Well, all right. Well, good. We'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, Brian from Cuckoo Kangaroo is a guy I really love to talk to about this stuff, and he says that. Bands can decide what their hits are by choosing mm-hmm. to play them in their set and really promote them. And exactly. that's cool to have the power to do that. And I think I kind of, Mr. Raven and my Poe stuff, I I force that into being like something people <laughs> expect because I always play that song. And, you know, on paper, that might not seem like a, like a, like a, a hit that people want to hear, but I was so determined. And I think like, that's a cool example. Or like Mega Ran doing the Final Fantasy stuff. Like mm-hmm. he... If you, that's what I like about nerdcore. If you care about something and you genuinely want to present it, it sticks, and that's dope. Yeah, that's yeah. special. Well, and there are always going to be, whether it's culturally or or whether it has to do with the personalities of of the people. There's always going to be an element that's that's problematic or annoying, or it doesn't sit well with you, and you can either work through that or you can move past it like those are your those are your two options nobody is trapped in any artistic bubble that they don't let themselves be trapped in yes that's true and i think that oh man we could talk about we'll see how controversial (laughs) this gets we could edit this out but there's i don't know if you've been following recent beef online of between some people and yeah what are your thoughts on that without naming people i i try to ignore it and, yeah. and that and that for me, and this is kind of this is funny and, and a thing that I don't talk about much, but I figured out that I respond a lot better to the art made by people, you know, in and around the the sort of nerdcore sphere when I am not completely directly involved with them all the time. Right. Like, I can't I can't as a 43-year-old man who's made a promise to himself to not fight with people about music on the internet anymore. That was a... <laughs> Lars, that's a gift I gave myself when I turned 40. I was like, you don't have to do that anymore, man. You've, you've what a gift. Your, your time. <laughs> um, like, I I try to stay out of that, but because of the fact that it's social media 24-7, you're still going to see it. So, of course, I'm in on it. And I'm like... Just, just let people think what they want. Don't don't get so dragged down by how this person does or does not interact with you or your scene or your community in a way right. that pleases you. Just it's not it's not all about you. It's going to be okay. These are the I, things I tell my children every day. It's not all about you. It's probably going to work out all right. Uh, don't forget to eat breakfast. And, and brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. If you and if you are annoyed by someone not caring about you, who you respect, you give that person power. You, you know? do. You and, do. And then they it, and it just becomes an endless cycle. And I because I'm tagged in a lot of this stuff, I just try to stay out of it. And I know whenever I've expressed opinions, the few times 
people write MCLR's diss songs <laughs> and I get dragged in the mud and I'm like, I, I just, the cl- the only thing I connect with in it is that I, you know, I own the nerdcoretour.com domain, which I post my dates mm-hmm. on. And yes. when we're doing like a Mount Rushmore tour, we play that up. But I think mm-hmm. for my own sanity, it's like, uh, it's exhausting. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's like toxic and, and, I, but, but anyway, yeah. So, well, what is, so, yeah, so is, I think so much advice is just, is just think, people just relax and exactly it's 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 fandom yeah. culture writ large and I don't care if you are a nerdcore guy or a Simpsons guy or a classic Dungeons and Dragons guy there are always going to be people in there that are throwing sand and that are unhappy of the shape and un, the shape and tone of X and okay be be mad good for you this is what you've chosen to expend your energy on and i'm not going to help you and it's not going to make you more credible you know you spend more time making music no. and videos because no. that's the key to any success i guess exactly exactly just just make 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 art that you like and do constructive things with it bottom line are you Z? Are you familiar with this concept called the Peter Principle? Uh, vaguely. So it's this idea that you rise to your highest level of incompetence. Ah, uh, yes, yes, right? yes. So, like, That's... as if you're mad that your career is not gone a certain way, try writing more music. Try doing better produced music. Try changing up your show. Like, I feel like a lot of artists. That and that applies to me too. Whenever I felt frustrated, I'm like, "Well, try, I should try something new, or learn a new technology, or mm-hmm. switch to another platform." I think that like that applies to music, and I wonder if that applies to you as a journalist. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I it's it's so easy to get bent out of shape about how this person is doing better than you, or this person who's you know one of your favorites isn't at the top where they should be that it, you get that you kind of lose where you are uh, artistically um, and you kind of lose you you lose sight of your good fortune. I mean, I get to and, you know, I still have a, a day job, of course, but I get to go to shows and play video games and write about it. And that's amazing. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Mm. Um from like an early age, all I ever wanted to do was tell stories. And after a point, I realized that everything is a story. Every experience, every uh, every song you hear, every place you go is a story. And I had to learn to, to kind of carve those out of whatever big blocks of stone were in my way. Mm, that's poetic. Right. And and the fact that you care about you care about telling story and other people's stories and piecing stories together, and like you said, you were an English major like yeah. me. That's cool. Well, I was a, I was an English major that did, just got uh, weird tattoos and ended up writing instead of finishing. So. What what did you want to do as an English major? Like, what was your reason for picking that? I, just because I liked words. I liked yeah. the I liked the power of language. I I'll, um I tried to focus a lot on um. On American Lit, like that's that's I think that's part of the reason why the the new album spoke to me so much because I'm like, oh, Washington Irving, that's my boy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of American Lit on that. Record. A lot of American Lit. A lot of um, I think it was just the sort of that sort of art for art sake movement. This we can have a story and we can have a moral, but people have to enjoy the way we get there. 
yeah. that really kind of changed my approach to, to writing. Well, that and Dungeons and Dragons changed my approach to writing too, but that's... <laughs> well, let's talk about that. How so? That's cool. Um, there is, again, I'm, uh, as you can tell from the accent, uniquely Southern. And there is this tradition of the Southern, especially the Southern man as a storyteller. And mm. growing up, I could never find that. I was always around... Uh, my my grandfather's a perfect example. I was always around these people that could spin these yarns, that could tell you what happened on third shift at the mill the night before last. And as pedestrian as it was, you would be riveted. Right. And I could never get there. I could never find my story until, you know, in my kind of preteens, I stumbled across uh, uh, role-playing games and, and comic books and that sort of pop culture sensibility and i was like oh these are stories too and that's kind of how i learned to, to tell a story was by by those examples mm, that's cool and that's and a, the in, imagination important and the imagination. imagination and and yeah. that's how i ended up with a d20 tattoo that got me a job writing for the wired blog <laughs> so it all it all comes around <laughs> that's cool um that's interesting i had never thought of that do you think it comes from the black tradition of the griot like the storytelling <laughs> I do, and I think it also comes from a fact, uh, comes from a place where when you are from a place, and, and even up until uh, sort of post-depression in the South, like, literacy rates were appalling. Mm. So the tradition of oral storytelling has just sort of endured. Like, you see it in the, you know, goofy, stereotypical Southern television preacher. Right. It's there's this just this sort right. of bombast and this timber, and I think it's just it's just a, a cultural thing, and the musicality of the accent. <laughs> yes, that that too. And man, it took me so long to just be okay with the way that I sound as a person, right? <laughs> because historically, Southern's not Southern's not necessarily well represented in pop culture, you know. And I know a couple of Cletus is like Joe Yokels, so I can't <laughs> complain. But also, but that was another thing that I discovered through music. You know, I remember. Uh, hearing Tom Petty and being like, oh my God, this guy's from rural Florida, but listen to this cool story he's telling me. Yeah. Um, later in the in the 90s, it was it was outcast. It's like, you can go to a gas station in Smyrna, Georgia, and hear somebody that talks like Big Boy. Like, I was like, oh, I, I know where these guys are from. Yeah. They're from down here too. You know, listen to this amazing lyricism. Yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. And that is... That's why Southern rap always has both musicality and great storytelling. You know? Yeah, that's, that's and, special. And, and it's great that now now rap is big enough to not just be two coasts. And I think that to right. me, for, for rap, either underground or commercial, like that's the best thing about it in its modern incarnation, is you can be a rapper from anywhere. You can be... Uh, you know, you can be the ghetto boys or you can be nice. You can be from somewhere everybody knows or a place no one's ever heard of before. And you don't have to be in Yeah. You don't have to be in a city. You could just do it on your yes, computer. Exactly. You can do You could. You can be the, you can be the dungeon family. You can do it on a dirt floor underneath a mill house, uh, which I'm looking down into my basement right now, which is a dirt floor underneath a mill house. <laughs> what? So what, um, I got well, I have two more questions. What yes. southern nerdcore rappers are there that like from the I'm not talking North Carolina, I'm talking like South, South Southern. South um I always Are there any? There there are a few for me. I always go with uh with my buddy Niles, uh 
Tribe One. Tribe One. There you go. Tribe is out of Atlanta. He has a he has a certain West Coast sensibility that he's never been able to shake. But he's you're right. He's the king, probably of Southern nerdcore. And 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 plus, I don't. Niles to me is one of those guys. I I tend to think of you guys in the same breath, just because you are just the most the nicest, most down to earth, like guys you want to hang out with after a show. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, again, you got you to gotta big up the good guys, because life often does not. So. Right. <laughs> Niles is definitely a great person. He is. He is. Well, again, and so much has changed in the last decade. You know, you, you, yeah. you, he, he too is married. They've got a kid. Like, his life is 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 grown. And, you know, it, you just wish everybody all the best. Yeah. That's cool. Um. Niles, and then there's of course like Sky Blue and, mm-hmm. and Michael Kill, and that's yeah, why I want to exclude yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, that well, and it's uh, and and even Niles to an extent uh, is a person that I'm so tight with that I have to make sure I don't big up him too much because like uh, Michael Kill and Sulfur, like I see those well, not as much as 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 I, I used to just because it's been a busy last six or eight months. But like you know, I know those guys. I've been to those guys' houses. I know their their wives and children and girlfriends yeah. and stuff like their you know their their family. That whole sort of no the no friends click. That's those are my people. They're friends. They are. Their name they is misleading. Are. Their name, ironically enough, they're my friends. I know Quit. that's not what no that's not what it says on the flyer, but. <laughs> What about Florida? I guess there's emergency pizza party. Yeah, that's the, kind of dispersed, right? Well, the Florida and Seattle were both really synonymous with that second gen nerdcore. Like, that's and true. you still you still have guys like EPP, like Funky Forty Nine, that are still doing some stuff in Florida, but it is not. I don't think it's the bastion of nerdcore that it once was, and a lot of that is because of the the dissolution of Nerdapalooza. I think that really kind of grounded the scene to an extent, and people were like moving to Orlando yeah. for that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And the story there to continue our oral history is they just. They 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 hired bands they thought would help grow the festival exponentially that ended up bankrupting. Them. Yeah, and and, and I was yeah. there. I was there as it was happening. And even though, and I was more privy to it than most. Yeah, but even just sort of knowing a little bit, like you you could just feel that something was going down. Like it it felt like the end. And that's what talking about punk rock it's always outside of the music industry so some of these people didn't have experience with like just because a band costs 50 grand or whatever doesn't mean they're gonna make you 100 grand exactly exactly and and it's not the band's fault i feel like a lot of people in that narrative want to blame a specific headliner but it's not their fault it's it's not and it's not their and it's not their fault for needing to be paid for their services yeah that's 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 capitalism friends and that's just how it works and that's yeah. It ain't a perfect system, but it's the one we got. And it also, when you're that big and you have a crew and you have expenses, yeah, most of yeah. that goes to the overhead of the project. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's interesting, man. Like that's kind of interesting. End note to the between the third and fourth generation is that if Nerdapalooza had stayed at the um, the social and the Beachum or whatever, it would have, I think, still been going doing theater so. sizes, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that it could have been a solid one or two mid-size house event by now, you know. Yeah. I, but 
you know, like everything, and I'm sure there's plenty of blame to go around to everyone involved, and and it's no use pointing fingers, but, you know, the the center cannot hold, things fall apart. Things fall apart, and and it was on its way to expanding, because I liked how, towards the end, it wasn't just rap. Really, rap had become so small. Well, and that was, and that's sort of a thing that I've been doing kind of since the the earliest days of my writing was, well, okay, if you like, um, if you like MC Lars, then clearly you're a person who's interested in, uh, in literature. Have you tried Darkest of the Hillside Thickets? If you like Mega Ran, uh, obviously you're a, a video game guy. Have you listened to the, the crew from the Overclocked Remix, Overclocked Remix project? Like there's just, there was, we were finally getting to a point where there was a lot of cross pollinization, which just makes it kind of all the sadder that it, that it went out when it did. Yeah. And now it's the bigger people like the generation five who probably were doing it for a while are the YouTubers like Dan bull and like, yeah, the completionist, yeah. like these people who really have millions of followers on YouTube because they had great production and the nerdcore fan base has found that because it's not just dudes in their forties who remember rap. It's, it's, it's young kids. After a point, yeah. And that's another thing about sort of like nerdcore infighting. Like after a point you have to realize, you know, I'm rapidly becoming a middle-aged man and not everything is for me. I'm no. not the target audience for this. If I don't get it, it's by design. Right. And it's a miracle that certain things like Sonic and Pokemon and Mario yeah, have, have lasted. Yeah, Therefore, have, have these endured. people still write about it. And that's that's inspiring. That's cool. It's, it's exciting. I um I went to it was the Nintendo Switch event the the big sort of first hands on um oh two three Januarys ago in Manhattan Nintendo flew me up and showed me a good time and brought us down in the middle of the night to watch the simulcast from Japan and I remember there was like me and a handful of other bloggers and a couple of uh uh like sort of more classic. Uh, outfits. So there was a guy, buddy of mine from Paste Magazine out of Atlanta was there. Mm. But the bulk of the kids, kids, I say, quote unquote, were YouTubers. And I was like, well, right. see, this is this is how it goes. I remember when I was the one uh, blogger in a room full of magazine and newspaper writers. And now I'm in this little, you know, in the corner and the, 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 new, the new guys are coming out. And good for them because we got to move forward. And good for them for... Um for being able to preserve the nerd culture and being yeah. part of it. Yeah. I remember the last warp tour I the last warp tour I did 2015 they had a YouTuber tent where mm-hmm. people would just meet the YouTubers. That was like the biggest thing at warp tour. The kids oh, wanted to meet them. My children are way more impressed when I meet a YouTuber than the fact that, you know, I'm hanging out with like indie musicians or, you know, getting to play video games for work and stuff like yeah. that's that's cultural currency to them. Those are those are their guys and their girls. That's the new rock stars. Yeah. And that's tight. <laughs> and and I don't watch Let's Plays. I don't get it because it's not for me. And that's okay. All content doesn't have to be made for me. I can find stuff that I like. Yeah. And that's what's up. Like yeah. such as such as the hipster please <laughs> podcast, <laughs> and um, I wanted to ask you. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, Z, is what what advice might you have for young young journalists that that stuff that's worked for you that 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 you learned that you maybe you wish you'd known as a kid. I think we have the old adage of of write what you know. 
and there's some truth to that, but you have to learn if you if you want to write what you know, you have to continually be learning new things. Like don't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone a little bit. And the best way to go out of your comfort zone is to look at something and be like, okay, this is something I'm interested in that's maybe a little unrelated. And you kind of you kind of ease into that, you know, just uh, find things that spark your interest. And if you get into it and you realize there's no passion there, then, then find another thing that sparks your interest. Mm. Keep growing. You keep growing. Keep growing. And, you know, there there's so many ways to approach writing that you kind of have to find yours. Right. Maybe maybe you're the next, you know, gonzo journalist. Maybe, maybe you are the next Leds, Legs McNeil, you know, uh, and you won't know until you find your thing. And, and don't be afraid to look for it. That's cool. So take chances. Don't don't yeah. specialize too much that you become uh, limited, right? That's right. And get, and get weird tattoos and start a podcast. <laughs> and, and meet Doc it, Pop. And meet Doc Pop. Hang out with Doc Pop. That's right. Get a get a big sweaty hug from Beefy. If I could give one piece of advice to everybody here in podcast land, it's it's hug Beefy. He's huggable, that guy. <laughs> Best hugs in the game. <laughs> um, I, that's interesting, Z, because that was kind of my point when I did my first R.I.P. Nerdcore blog mm-hmm. twelve years ago. I was yeah, saying I was say a million years ago, a million years ago. So it doesn't even matter. The biggest, <laughs> my most viewed blog I ever posted. Where my point was exactly what you said. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to talk about how the art was going to die. I was talking about how you needed to listen to things other than nerdcore to create yes. good music. How it's very important to to not try to do a carbon copy of this thing that was, I felt like could be a carbon copy of authentic rap. And yeah, yeah. And I think people listen, whether they listen to it or not, the, the case now is that there's so much brilliant creativity because by necessity, streaming services and the internet have forced people to to step outside their cons, their um, comfort zone. And with writing mm-hmm. too, I think that's like a really cool, that's cool advice. That's yeah. good advice. Well, it's, it is, and it's the the i only and there and there are always going to be those people that come up to you and say i don't like rap but and those are the people that you say oh you don't like rap but you enjoy mega Ran. oh well have you heard you know just have your have your ducks lined up have your suggestions on hand cuz those are exactly the kind of people that you want to encourage to to branch out into uh, other artists and other music you should like you know maybe not all kinds of music but you should like most kinds of music cuz it's beautiful and it's variable and there's so much depth and breadth and color to it and uh yeah know, it music is as cliche as it sounds. Music continues to save my life and to help make it uh, more worth living and 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 to really kind of uh, uh, color it and just help keep me entertained and centered and going when times get rough. Amen. That's the same with me, man. And I think I've come to peace with if someone only likes nerdcore because I know a lot of people who come to see our tours might not go to other tours. Mm-hmm. That's okay. There's no shame in like liking something very no, familiar, no. very comfortable. But you're right. Maybe it's a good excuse for, oh, well, you like this? Maybe you'll like Kendrick Lamar. Or, oh. With Hamilton, now that's like such a great yes. oh, lightning some- bolt. Oh, I, you know, oh, I just, I just, you know, this, you know, somebody wants to just go to a, a no friend show and they're like, man, I, I really enjoyed Michael Kill. My response is, oh man, me and Kill 
went to the most amazing ghetto boy show at a dive bar in Charlotte a couple years ago. Let me tell you about it. And let me tell you about how we connected to, to this music that we grew up with. Yeah. And that's, that's a true tight. story. And Bushwick Bill got on the bar at one point. <laughs> and I am not a religious man, Lars, but I understood church because it was just <laughs> 75 of us packed in there. And we were just all feeling it, and it was and it was great. And that that's music. That's why you go to shows. That's why you buy records for for moments like that. It is, yeah. It's spiritual, and that same it's, vibe is why people go to church, right? Yeah, it feels exactly. In, in it's your a, heart. it's a connection with a connection with your fellow with your fellow humans. Just like this hour has been us that's connected right. with each other. <laughs> it is, man. It was large. It was so great to catch up with you, man. I miss you so much. I will definitely the next time you're within driving distance, I will definitely be there. Thanks, buddy. Well, I miss you too. And hopefully we'll, I'm going to be doing some stuff early next year. So hopefully we could get to Spartanburg even. That would yeah, be a trip. I say, man, hey, do, says hey, do, do Charlotte, me, Kill, and Sulphur, all the boys will show up. That would be an honor. That would yes. be tight. Uh, thank you, bro. Where So where can we send people to follow all your prodigious output? Um, my most, As I said, most of my writing now takes place at geekdad.com. And you can check out my podcast, which is about to hit its 99th episode at hipsterpolice.com. Not, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, I, I had the podcast and I did well over 100 episodes kind of back in the day. And then I took a couple years off and I kind of decided to reboot it a few years ago. So I'm about to cross 100 again, which is uh, which is still fun. It's still kind of magic. Uh, this arbitrary number that we have agreed is important because it's <laughs> so, triple digits. Soon you'll hit a thousand quadruple That's, digits. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let's end with a song. Like, is there do you have a favorite nerdcore song what a question i totally put you on the spot oh oh do i have a favorite nerdcore song okay because we'll end with um, it we will uh you know we were talking about word burglar and um when i was going through kind of a really rough time in my life bird dropped third burglar which was his third lp uh book is he's clever and there is a track on there called yobaseo that uses if i am not mistaken sort of a pitch shifted version of the moon music from ducktales the nes game Mm. But it is a lyrically, it is a song about uh, it sort of juxtaposes loneliness and connection. Uh, and the, the hook is, uh, is anybody out there? Please don't say no. And it was just one of those tracks that it, that I go back to every time that I'm feeling uh, alone or, or uh, isolated. I mean, it always helps me. And uh, if you haven't heard it, I hope you dig it. If you have All heard right, it, cool. I hope you dig it, too. This is um. And didn't Michael Kill sample this beat? Sample the Moon music too. Oh man! It, it let me tell you that one is well worn. That is yeah. a popular, popular little uh, little midi to pull in. And speaking of uh, Hamilton, Lin Manuel said it was his favorite piece of video game music of all time. It's gorgeous. If you go okay. to if you go to repositories like the Overclocked Remix Project, you will find so many iterations of that. Just because it's uh, it's it's iconic, it's beautiful. It's just an amazing melody, and the fact that they were doing it on this tiny, insignificant little sound chip, and we're still talking about it decades later. What? Real quick, Overclocked Remix Project. I've heard people talk about it. What is that? Overclocked Remix Project was another one of these early internet musical communities where uh, basically um, started out by a guy named DJ Pretzel and some of his friends, but uh, people reimagine and reorchestrate music from video games. Sometimes they do it uh, as uh, instrumental stuff. Sometimes they do it as uh, uh, 
beats for to, to rap over. Sometimes they make metal covers or they turn it into a samba. It's just uh, wow. sort of the breadth of creativity of a lot of these uh, kind of bedroom producers. And the coolest part is over the ensuing years, a lot of these guys have gone on to make video game music professionally. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. is. It, is it like Creative Commons or it's just like, What's the legality of it? They just give it away they, so they don't have to clear it. They they give it away. They do. Um, they always credit the original composers. Cool. They and it's just completely fan based and fan run, and it's it's amazing. Anytime I don't know what to listen to, I just go to OCR and see what they're what they're kicking out. Are they still active? Oh yeah, it, yeah. Ooh. It's it's still out there, and you've got stuff going back. You know, go, going back to that to that 2007, 2008, 2009 golden age of nerdy music. Okay, well, let's. I, I recommend that. It sounds like a cool resource. I'm gonna yeah, check that out yeah. too. Yeah, um, This is the Word Burglar song from Third Burglar, and the name of it is again Yobaseo. Yobaseo. Z. Thank you. This has been awesome, Lars. Thank you so much, man. It is great to talk to you. And uh, congratulations on your not too distant uh, nuptials. I know you're you're still relatively recently married, and I hadn't got to tell you that in person. So congratulations to you and your beautiful family. Thank you. Congratulations to you too, Z. I'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. What a great word burglar song. I had not heard that, but I know that DuckTales theme is classic, and that was a great choice. Z, thank you very much. Thanks for your time, for your insight. You can tell that that dude is like a very humble, sweet, kind person, and uh, he's done a lot for the scene. So hipsterplease.com. Check out his podcast. Check out his work. Z, thank you very much. We have another 
special friends, speaking of great people. This is my friend Chris, who uh, called and left a message on the Patreon hotline because he's this week's MC, MC Lars. Lars. Patreon, Patreon Larson, Larson of, the, of week. the week. Hey, this is Chris Barnett from Akron, Ohio. And I wanted to leave a, a memory, a fun MC Lars memory that, that I had. Uh, but there are so many, it's hard to choose from. We've known Lars for a long time, and I think what's uh, so cool are all the friendships, even more than just a single memory, or all the great friendships that we've made through MC Lars. We spread those joyful smiles. People like uh, Adam Pierce from Portland and Kosha Dill, Mega Ran, and Ryan and Neil from Cuckoo Kangaroo, who become really good friends of ours over the years, and all the way from... Uh, the guys from Sky Fox, when we first met MC Lars years and years ago, Johnny, Matt, John, and Mike. But if I had to choose a memory, I, I, I'd have to say there's two. One is the wild juxtaposition of seeing my 10-year-old Maddox at Fun, Fun, Fun Fest with MC Lars dancing on stage with SZA from Leftover Crack. It's just one of those moments that a father can't even believe to see his kid up there with someone like Stiza, both just having the time of their life there in Austin. But uh, I'd have to say my favorite memory, though, was from uh, Vans Warped Tour 2015 when MC Lars came through Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and uh, gave us a call when he was finished for the day and said he wanted to hang out. And we, we went out for ice cream afterwards, and there was this... Uh, the uh, retail person, the person uh, taking our order, saw that we were wearing um, Vans Warped Tour gear. And she was so disappointed that she didn't get to go. She had to work that day. And uh, she was really bummed out because she wanted to see her favorite artist, MC Lars. And my son said, well, he, he's right here. And she realized that she was actually serving up ice cream for Lars. She just filled with joy and like burst into not joyful smiles, but joyful tears that MC Lars actually showed up right there where she worked, even though she had to go into work that day and had to miss his show. And she had uh, one of his CDs in her purse and she got to get an autograph from him. And it just made her day totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, serendipitously uh, MC Lars is right there and she had uh, a great day so that's my that's my memory my my favorite MC Lars memory thank you Lars keep spreading those joyful smiles love you brother oh man that's a great story thank you Chris you know what I love about this podcast is that I always wanted to kind of write <laughs> memoirs or something like that you know I'd done a lot of book pitches over the years trying to talk about the indie rap revolution, the internet revolution, whatever you call it, wherever I fit in the music world and these stories and everything, I've always wanted to document all these cool stories and like tell the stories of all my friends. And I feel like this podcast does that. And I think like that story that Chris told, it's a great one because I'd forgotten about it, but I remember how fun and random that was, like meeting that girl and getting to sign her CD. <laughs> it was just really random. And I just feel very blessed. And at this point, I'm looking at the SoundCloud playlist. There's 86 hours of me talking to my friends. And I don't plan on stopping like 62 episodes. I want to do hundreds. And it's just this has been a great medium. So 
Thank you everyone who's been listening and supporting part of this digital archive of, of this moment in time. And yeah, I get kind of emotional talking about it. And it's been so cool being able to go to places like Russia and play places like New Zealand and Australia and Japan and Amsterdam and Canada, just Alaska, Hawaii. I don't know. I just, I feel blessed. And I want to share the secrets of this DIY vision. So that's just a little macro perspective I wanted to leave at the end of the podcast. Um, next week, I talked to Rappy McRapperson. He came to my show in Bellingham, Washington with Oakley Doakley. And we talked about his life. He was like an early Napster comedy rapper. And I learned that he was signed to the label that put out Robot Kills, Olio. I learned that he signed Wing, who was the woman who was on South Park, and he produced a few records for her. And I learned he did the original Cabinet Underpants theme song. So it's a great interview with a very artistic, interesting, unique guy, Rappy McRapperson. Check out his stuff. It's not necessarily safe for work, but it's definitely brilliant. And I'll see you then. Thank you all for listening. Take care. Peace. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is your friend MC Lars.